Are they not? Like, physically, I was going to say physically, no, not true. Like, sound waves are going to hit their ears in a way that makes them very uncomfortable, where even if it's not psychologically damaging, I think just hearing our voices would create discomfort. But yeah, it's, you know, we could beat around the bush, so to speak, or we could just get into it. Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Kyle. And this is the Big Bang Theory Theory. We're a show about a show. Uh, What do we do here, Kyle? Every week, well, every two weeks, we watch an episode of the Big Bang Theory, and we try to summarize it for you and provide some incredibly thin cultural analysis and context to the episode and then we uh talk about nerd stuff and peace out yeah and the feedback i get on our show is everyone really seems to like the nerd stuff over and over again i hear that comment i've yet to hear anyone say oh i really like when you talk about the episodes i really like your thoughts on the episodes (laughs) so if we were smart we would just turn this into another in the in the the vast wasteland of um, nerd culture podcasts, but we have a goal. We don't know what it is yet. We like to break these things down, figure out what <laughs> what makes this show tick. And yeah. ironically, one might think that being about the Big Bang Theory, a show that is ostensibly about four nerds hanging out and trying to live their best lives, we would have organic opportunities to discuss nerd culture to our heart's content. But that is not generally the case. Kyle, I feel like what you just said provides an excellent place to start. So the first thing I'm going to say is that we are today discussing the fourth episode of season four, which is titled The Hot Troll Deviation, in reference to uh, some some online cyber-sexing that involves mythical beasts that happen to be trolls. And the reason... I I think you just provided an excellent segue, is that we've complained a lot throughout the recording of the show at how very often uh, the Big Bang Theory, rather than providing uh, a joke, like a a capital J joke, that involves um, some degree of cleverness or a turn of phrase or something unsuspected or surprising will very often just rely on dropping cultural references. And I think the idea there is that the audience will go, I recognize that. I know nerds like that. Therefore I laugh. Um, Within the first 60 seconds of this episode, I saw that we have referenced Star Wars episode one, superhero comics in general, because there's a, a Captain Arrogance, I believe is a character that is fought over. We have, the Aliens franchise, which I watched in its entirety on the 4th of July, including the AVP films. In the uh, wrong order, if I... Is that the case? Or also correct. Just... All, all out of order. Oh, sorry. I said Aliens. I meant the Predator films. I watched all those out of order. That is the next cultural reference in this show. Uh, my friend Charlie and I, we had previously watched all the Aliens films. We decided we need to balance that by watching all the Predator films. And then, not so much a nerd reference, but a cultural reference nonetheless, Jamba Juice. All of these are sewn together inorganically, so you're overwhelmed with things you recognize. And I think anyone, wherever they are on the nerd to normie spectrum, is going to remember, is going to recognize one of those words and go, Huh, that must be for me. And if it's not for me, it must be making fun of the people that I don't like. 
So that's that's how the show begins. This episode specifically. Yeah, that's um, a that's a that's a good point. And I am ready to dive into my my short summary, which I think recently, especially, I think since we started season four, my summaries have been getting too long. I've become too detail-oriented, and so I'm really going to try to truncate it this time. Okay, so main thrust of this episode is um, our A-plot. Wallowitz has got the hots for Bernadette, who has magically appeared again. Were they ever actually in a relationship before prior to this episode? Unclear. When did they break up? Who knows? Never discussed. What? What? Where has she been since then? Also, big question mark. But she's back. They established that Wallowitz and Bernadette have had feelings for each other, and Wallowitz is trying to figure out the correct uh, way to approach reconnecting with her. That is a plot. B plot is such a throwaway. It's never even explained why or what they're working on together, but Sheldon and Raj are partnered in some sort of academic capacity, and they are sharing Sheldon's office. And so for the entire episode, they are fighting not over what they're working on or how to approach it or, you know, not even over what Sheldon would normally be interested in, which is like proving his, well, in a way, yeah, proving his superiority to everybody around him. But now, because they are located in Sheldon's office, uh, they spend the entire episode fighting over whether Raj also is allowed to have a desk in that office. That's it. Uh, so to, to get back to the primary plot, like I said, I'm going to try to truncate this more than usual. Uh, Wallowitz is going around looking for help. He doesn't know what to do with his feelings. He has a couple fantasy sequences. Katie Sackoff shows up a couple times in this episode, and... Um, for anyone who doesn't know, which I can't imagine is anyone listening to this podcast, Katie Sackhoff played Starbuck on Battlestar Galactica. Has she had other acting roles? Probably. Do we give a shit about them? Not in the slightest. She was Starbuck. And so Wallowitz's first fantasy is he's lying in bed in some pretty sweet monogrammed pajamas that I was honestly pretty jealous of. Uh, Starbucks shows up and is like, oh, hey, I'm here for your normal sexual fantasy. And then Bernadette also shows up and is like, oh, hey, I'm also here for your sexual fantasy. Now you have complicated feelings. And Starbucks slash Katie has to be like, oh, hey, don't you actually have feelings for uh, Bernadette? Maybe I should get out of here. And then George Takei shows up and is like, hey, I'm here to throw in some gay panic fear. <laughs> maybe maybe Wallowitz wants to fuck dudes, too. I don't know. It's all fun. And this is a fun way to insert... I don't hate George Takei as a person. Maybe he's great. Oh, here I, we go. <laughs> I fucking hate what George Takei has become. I, I hate his... I, I think he's kind of out of the the moment, but he was really big there for a while on the social, on the social meds. Um, no, he's still there. My guess is you just blocked him. Very possible. But, oh, I find his, his presence obnoxious. For for anyone who's unaware, again, not anyone who listens to this podcast, so it's probably unnecessary for me to bring this in. George Takei, Sulu on the, the OG Star Trek series. Again, has he had other acting roles? Yeah, probably, and we don't give a shit. But more recently, he's become important again as a campy figurehead of primarily gay rights, but also just kind of like civil rights in general. And this is the reason that it's kind of hard for me, not hard for me, but like, I feel kind of gross saying how much I dislike George Takei's online presence because he does good work. 
He, I think, has good things to say. I believe in movements he supports. But I get so fucking sick of his constant, like, campy presence and his one-note shtick. But that's what he does in this episode again. He shows up and he's like, hey, I'm George Takei. Can you believe it? Boy, you are really just tearing through this summary, huh? Yeah, I'm doing a terrible job, aren't I? Okay, how about how about this? I got all that out of the way, right? That's 80% of the episode. <laughs> Eventually, Wallowitz is like, Penny, I need your help. He he tricks his way into her apartment by pretending he's Sheldon, which you'd never think would work ever, but it works on Penny. Penny sets up a, a date between him and uh, Bernadette at the Cheesecake Factory. The, the date apparently is successful enough that um, Bernadette and Wallowitz end up in, I guess, Bernadette's car. I think about it now. I think she was the one driving. And they make out. And Katie Sackoff appears in the back seat and is like, way to go, guys. Now make the move. And George Takei also appears in the back seat and is like, no, woo her, Wallowitz. She wants to reacquaint herself. Take it slow. And this is where, not to get blue, but to get blue, I am 90% percent per- per- certain that Wallowitz totally grabs Bernadette's pussy. Like, I think he goes, he goes for it. And she's not... Oh, so you mean within the context of the episode, not like you actually saw, like, a nip slip or something like that, which is no, what no. I thought you meant. You just mean, like, you think the show alludes to some very, like, intense whatever. His... Yes. The, you, get, you get dashboard... From the outs, from through the windshield, from the front of the car, you get dashboard view of their makeouts. His right hand, facing the camera, dips under the dashboard, and so maybe he's just touching her knee, and that's no, too much. No, that's for- obviously not what's going on. You're right. It's just you really built that up into something that I thought was going. To- yes. Oh, but- oh, you thought I was actually going to like discuss full blown. New well, yeah, I was parts. just like, what episode was he watching that I totally missed? No. And so that's that's the and then you know for the B plot, Sheldon and Raj fight throughout the whole thing. Raj puts a gigantic desk in Sheldon's office. They continue to fight. There's a small explosion. That's it. There, plot discussion done. Let's wow. let's get into it. Um, you really. My favorite part of that was how you managed to discuss the entire summary while leaving out, to me, was the most important detail, which is also why the episode is called The Hot Troll Deviation. Oh, I forgot about that. (laughs) The fact that I could get through it and hit what I think are all the major points without discussing it, I think shows how weakly written the episode is. But But since you brought it in, Kyle, please explain why it is called The Hot Troll Deviation. So... Yeah, the key mystery in the episode. Yeah, this is Bernadette is reintroduced, and it was it's sort of weird, and the writers sort of know, I guess, that like the audience will be surprised because essentially she was there, and then she wasn't there, and they never talked about it. So then, I guess you know, while the actress was renegotiating her contract to be yeah, a series yeah, yeah. regular. <laughs> They wrote her out of the show for a while, and now that she's back, they need an explanation for why they hadn't talked about her. And the answer was they broke up, but Wallowitz doesn't want to tell anyone why. So he finally, and that's actually the key mystery of the show, is why did Wallowitz uh, and Bernadette break up? 
And the answer, which he confesses to shame, shame uh, shamefully to Penny, because he at least knows this is embarrassing, is that he was caught by Bernadette having some form of cyber sex on the game World of Warcraft with a yeah. troll. A, not like a troll in the usual internet sense of someone who is obnoxious, but an actual character playing a troll named Glacinda or something like that. That sounds in right. In World of Warcraft. And it's important, the reason, the, I mean, I dwell on that because I thought it was like one of the most interesting details of the episode but also when they're discussing like when Wallace is trying to defend his behavior to Bernadette he says well you know I just felt like essentially he makes the my needs weren't being met argument and she's like well yeah but you never made a move on me and he's like well I didn't really know that I was supposed to and she's like no you got to make the move and so that's why at the end of the episode it's not like it's not like I mean, it is still, I suppose, a little bit out of the blue, but it's not like um, it's not like they're just randomly making out and he pulls a Biff Tanner. That's a Back to the Future reference, as long as we're contextualizing all of our nerd rep- references in this podcast episode. But it's like it's like the whole episode has been about whether Wallowitz really has feels psychologically ready to <laughs> to be forward enough to try to physically signal he's ready to take things to the next level. So he tries that, and it is the wrong moment for it. I have played World of Warcraft, um, but very, very little of it. Like, at most, and I think this is an overestimate, like 10 hours in my life. World of Warcraft, in my life, I see it as a very, very destructive force. Because when I was in high school, the hot shit then was EverQuest. And I had friends who would, like, play that for... Hours and hours every day. But I maybe, I don't know why I felt any different. Maybe it's because we were all still in high school. I still felt like I had some sort of connection to them. When we got to college, World of Warcraft came out, and they were gone to me. Like, people that I'd known for years that I was close with, I no longer had any reason to spend time with because I wasn't around to participate in raids with them. And I, I say all this because it's just a way of saying that I, I'm not, I know it. World of Warcraft is. I, I know the basics just by nerd osmosis and having people close to me who played it. Is this cyber? Can you actually fuck each other in that game? Is that a real thing? No, absolutely. Well, I know so, you can get married. I've never played World of Warcraft, so whoa. I don't, yes, it, it's. Uh, I I you know my dislike of people extends to hanging out with them in virtual spaces. I understand uh, that. To be honest, my first thought in this episode was. Sex with someone on World of Warcraft, that's way too intimate. But uh, we don't have to dig into that. But no, if you can, I think... Because I know, I think like in Final Fantasy fourteen there are actual like brothels and things. But I think it's all like... Uh, it's all symbolic, right? Like the most you could possibly do is just like have your two avatars like up in each other's spaces doing some mm-hmm. like dances. Like, <laughs> like there would be no... Uh, there would... There would be a lot left to the imagination. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting because I suppose in many ways that's all sex really is, is a symbol. I mean, outside of the physical, it's just a symbolic act, which means whatever the social norms and constraints of the people engaging in it in their society really interpret it as. So I suppose it's legitimate, however. I just mean when compared to something like Second Life, which I think has like full-blown, like, dark server mods and things and it's like a cesspool of like weird furry orgies is what i've heard yeah well i'm glad i'm not in any part of any of that the idea of any oh go ahead oh go ahead 
All right. After uh, the, you. The idea of any kind of intimacy, cyber or not, can't handle it. Don't like it. Thank you. Is that what you were going to say? We were both just going to open up to each other about how we think other people are yucky? Yes. But uh, I do think... Um, I mean, I don't judge Wallowitz. I think it's... I think it's uh, It fits in well with his character that he basically would have done this thing. And like I said, he is obviously embarrassed about it. What's the thing he says? There are places on the internet where the words Walla Wizard are whispered. Oh, in hushed tones, yes. In hushed tones. Dark corners of the internet. And he also, what I thought was interesting, is he acknowledges his awareness that the person he was doing this with is probably not actually a woman. Which we do find out is true. And then he nonetheless seems disgusted when he does find out who it is, though. Like, yeah, I just, I just retcon that part out. I think it's, I, th- I, th- I like the character better if he's just like, you know, lonely guys, we gotta, we gotta help each other out however we can. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I've ever engaged in any sort of cyber sexual activity. The clo- I, I have done very, very light sexting, and oh, I hate it. Oh, I hate it so much. Like. I don't know why, but sometimes, like, a lady will think I'm attractive, and I'm like, all right, I guess we're doing this again. And even rarer than that, we'll have, I, I've, I've, I've received a small handful of lewd texts in my life. And every time it happens, I'm like, I, what do you want from me? Like, I, I thought maybe the reason you were attracted to me is that I, I bring a, a childlike sense of irreverence to otherwise dry and sordid adult affairs and now you're telling me about your adult parts and i'm not i'm not ready to process that i did i did uh muster all of my bravery recently though and i sent a lady i sent a lady a nude photo i did it butt cheeks and everything whoa no hog though that's that's for later that's special so and what were you like? Were you like looking over your shoulder? Like or, that is like... exact. I was. I, I was in the bathroom mirror, looking over you my. You were giving shoulder. it like the 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 super the the uh, Sports Illustrated look. I sure I like... was. Butt cheeks in the mirror, biting <laughs> biting my finger. I'll send it to you if you oh. want to see it. I'm not. I mean, I am ashamed, but that hasn't stopped me from doing anything else before. I I think we should start scuttling towards our nerd thing. Well, no, we got, so, I mean, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, I guess is isn't that important, but uh, I think you were a little hard on George Takei. I think you owe him an apology. Absolutely not. You explain to me why you think so, but I really doubt I'm going to follow along. Well, I, it sounds like you're basically just annoyed with his omnipresence on the internet. That's not quite, but you made it sound like you hate him. It's like, so basically you oh, hate oh, him for okay. being ubiquitous. That's fair. I don't I don't actually literally hate him. I am very annoyed with him. Yes. Fair enough. That's all I really want. And and uh, you know, I get it. I'm annoyed with him too. I mean, I actually I think I sort of appreciate the way he went from being probably the most obscure like of character on on Star Trek in many many ways to like having a full blown like just embracing the fact that nerds are always going to know who he is and marshalling that into like a full on like third act career but I do get why it's uh and like you said he's done a lot to raise awareness about like you know persecuting minorities and and talking about his own childhood experiences in an American concentration camp which is sort of wild 
I forget know, so that. Yeah, that's that is totally good. And you're just trying to put him right back there, Nick. Will you hate her? But uh, you know. Okay. Uh, other than let's get into our nerd thing of the week. <laughs> I do. Okay. Last thing I'll say about last the thing. Go for it. I did. I thought Raj was scampish in this episode, and I enjoyed this take of him, this version of him. The uh, the yeah. get one over on Sheldon. Okay, nerd thing. Who's going first? I got one queued up, but you can take the lead if you like. Go ahead. Okay, I have been consuming a lot of media during these lockdown times, and so I had a few candidates. For instance, I watched Mad Max Fury Road the other night in an open air screening here in here in Missoula. And that was like my fourth or fifth time seeing that film just on a big screen. And that was wonderful. And I thought about recommending that. But then I remembered something I saw uh, a little further back that I think is even more worth discussing because it, it really shocked me with its quality. And that is the original version of The Wicker Man. I had never seen it before. I, I know about the, the infamously terrible, more recent Nicolas Cage version, which I've still not seen. That's that's uh, on my list now. But I'm a little scared to see it, because like, with how good the first one is, it's hard for me to like imagine how terribly they could have screwed it up. And I guess that's going to be half the fun, is just kind of accepting that. I mean, um, I assume you've seen the gif of the clip of him running, uh, run, of him screaming, not the bees, not I, the bees. I've seen that. I've seen him knocking masks off children's faces. I've seen him punching multiple women without explanation. <laughs> yeah, that's um, the only parts of the movie I know anything about. Yeah, same. And having seen the original movie, some of that stuff makes more sense now. Like, but not a whole lot more sense. <laughs> And without explaining the the entire plot, uh, the the basics of the original Wicker Man are um, a cop. I I don't think he's even any kind of special cop. He's he's just a cop. He he goes to this small um, Scottish island because he got a report through an anonymous letter that a young girl has disappeared. I think the girl is supposed to be maybe like 12-ish, you know, so like not a baby, but, you know, a, a child. And um, he goes to investigate. That's really it. Uh, he he has a little, a, a tiny little like one person seaplane. He, he flies to the island. He gets there. And the first group of people he counters are a bunch of friendly old men who he gets frustrated with because uh, they are immediately and obviously obstructive not in a real obvious overwhelming pushy kind of way but he has a photo of the girl with him and he's like hey have you seen her have you seen her have you seen her and no one has any idea who she is and this is the treatment he gets from literally every person he meets on the island and he's just getting increasingly frustrated and not only is he frustrated with how uncooperative everyone is being he's also frustrated with their their weird uh i guess their culture and uh you know like traditions that he's unfamiliar with because this is another thing is um it's established fairly early on that he's a very devout christian he loves jesus can't get enough of jesus and he starts to see that the people on this island are are frankly they're like really laid back easy going like for fun loving horny types like well, well and 
Oh, well, go ahead. I I, haven't seen the movie, so... Well, I don't know how much more I want to say. I think I know exactly what you were just about to say, and I don't know if that's revealing too much or not. Okay. But, uh... uh, Well, let uh, me say this. Would you say that the movie... God, I'm just... I'm ruining your... I'm sorry. No, 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 go for it. Shut up. We are co-hosts. What were you going to say? I was going to say, do you think that Wicker Man pairs well with, like, Midsommar, which I think is, like, supposed to be, like, a spiritual sequel to that movie? Kyle, you reminded me. I also saw Midsummer for the first time uh, within the last couple weeks. And yes, absolutely. I don't know. It's hard for me to imagine that the one didn't take direct influence from the other. Like, I guess it's possible, but it's hard to imagine uh, not. Um, no, I don't think I don't think the director would deny that. I think I think the one is very deliberately not an homage, but like in conversation with the other. Yeah. It's hard for me to say between the two which I'd prefer. My instinct is going with Wicker Man, though. I really liked Midsommar. I avoid watching it for the longest time because you and I, we watched Hereditary together in the theater. I really liked it. And I think your experience was you appreciated that it was a good movie, but you also hated it because it was so intense and yucky. And I was afraid of watching Midsommar because even though I had a better experience with uh, Hereditary than you did... I was worried it was going to be all the more intense and yucky, and I, I was like, when am I ever going to be ready to have that uncomfortable of an experience? And it's not nearly as bad at all as I thought it would be. And I think I'd built it up so much in my mind that by the time I actually watched it, I was like, oh, this is fine. Like, this isn't even as intense as most run-of-the-mill horror movies, let alone this one that is very well done and done in a much different way than a lot of the horror movies that that I've watched, and I think that most people have watched. But to get back to The Wicker Man, I'll leave it at this, uh, is that it's it's not necessarily a scary movie. I wonder if, because I think it's from, it's from the 70s for sure. I can't remember what part of the 70s, though. 1973. Okay, thank you. I wonder if it used to be scarier to the general population when more people were Christian. And even given that, the main character, the cop, I do, I mean, he is particularly devout. He is very stodgy and um, very self-serious in, in his beliefs. But I, I think, really, with, with, with a population that, and again, I don't know if this was the case, but I, I would suspect that just more generally were aligned with Christianity and accepted that as, like, the primary religion, like just the the norm, that maybe it would have been more upsetting. I don't know. So yeah, Wicker Man, my recommendation. Kyle, your turn. So I'm going to go in a different direction, although uh, I've never seen The Wicker Man, but I do need to watch it one of these days. And probably Midsommar. I was going to say, I'm going in a completely lighter direction. Um, So I've been craving, I'm in going, is a very stressful time of year for me. Um, and I've been craving just sort of the sweet release of something simple and straightforward to play as a video game. Mm. I wanted something, I wanted something that, uh, would require basically, um, that would trigger all of my fondest childhood memories of like playing an RPG without any of like the deep tactical strategy or stat management that I knew was going to stress me out. Yeah. And boy, did I find it. I have been playing Dragon Age 11, I think is the Roman numeral. Uh, X1 would be 11, right? Do you mean Dragon um, Quest? Dragon Quest, yes. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. 
This would have been very confusing. Dragon Quest Eleven S Echoes of an Elusive Age, the Definitive Edition, which is a lot of friggin' subtitles. But basically, I'm playing the Switch version, which has some like additional content over the original version that came out, I think, two years ago. But yeah, it's great. It's just like an old school, like um, like just a classic fantasy JRPG, very trope heavy, very uh predictable in terms of the plot, but it has two it has a couple of things going for it. Uh the first is even though it's uh even though it's deliberately old school, it is still like very much like a 2018-2019 game, so it is reproduced. It just has a lot of comfort features that it knows you're going to want, like it lets you customize like the speed of combat and things like that a lot more. So it's just really easy if you just want to grind it out on autopilot, which I haven't felt the need to do. You can just do that. But even more than that, that's just sort of so it's it has a lot of like quality of life improvements over like Final Fantasy VI, but also which I am currently uh, playing. <laughs> yes, I think the main thing it has going for it is it's just so dang cute. The art style of all of the Dragon Quest games was created by Akira Toriyama, who most people will recognize from anything Dragon Ball or Dragon Ball Z related. Or if somehow you have never played Dragon Ball Z, but you have played Chrono Trigger, it's that art style. If you have played uh, Chrono Trigger but don't know about Dragon Quest, which would be a very small minority of people. But anyway, so it's basically like you you are like the classic... I like it because it starts off with just like, ah... So this baby is Fantasy Jesus, right? And it's like, yeah, it looks that way. We got another Fantasy Jesus situation on our hands. Well, I guess it's time for our entire country to be attacked by the forces of darkness because because that's what happens always. And it's just like, yep, that's what's going on here. So you basically, you are, uh, <laughs> but you look, so you are like the classic, like chosen one archetype with magical like powers that are, uh, thematically connected to light whose whole job it is to drive back the darkness but also you look like goku not goku specifically but you look like someone who would be hanging out with goku only you're more quiet so you are a quiet goku you know roaming the land with your magic sword picking up your quirky cast of party members fighting cute monsters who are still you know occasionally trying to rip you into pieces even as they're so adorable so yeah, I like everything about it so far. I am not that far into it, but so the only uh the only party member I have picked up yet is like the thief archetype character. But Eric, they are I think. All, yes. Well Eric in the I don't know what he I'm listen I'm playing it with on in Japanese with the subs, and I can tell his name in Japanese is not Eric. Yeah. <laughs> but um anyway. He, we are bro, like, like the game basically, it's one of those games where you play for like two hours and then it hits you with the title screen. So the, so the game properly just like starts, the prologue ends with Eric busting you out of jail and the two of you like are like, well, we got a Butch Cassidy and Sundance kid off this cliff. And you literally, I think you're like holding hands as you leap off this cliff, you know, a thousand feet into the water below. And I was like, this is, this is a bromance I can get behind. This is, (laughs) this is. This is a relationship I believe in. Like earlier, you'd been interested, you'd been introduced to the hero's like childhood girlfriend, romantic love interest thing. It's like, yeah, I don't care about her at all. But, but my protagonist and Eric, that I care about. That is a relationship 
And also, wait, yeah. So the game is actually, I think because it follows the RPG tropes so straightforward, it actually does some pretty fun little subversive things where every time you think you know exactly what's about to happen, it does something that's just slightly different, which I think is kind of fun. Like, uh, the reveal that your childhood home has been destroyed by the evil empire is actually handled in a way that's, like, really kind of well-structured and paced. And also, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, and I named my player character Kal-El because he's he's a super-powered orphan boy who is raised by kind parents after being found floating down the river. I guess I could have named him Moses, but I thought Kal-El was more thematically appropriate. I don't know why I had that noise reaction. I, I don't Because disapprove. you have to shame people for liking... Anything pe- that nerdy that you like is obviously impeccable. But anything, any nerdy thing that any, any nerdy sincere thing that someone would do that you don't immediately identify with as something that you do is worthy of contempt. This I sounds see correct. you, Nicholas. That sounds appropriate, yes. All right. But anyway, Dragon Quest. Not If you're into like hardcore, super like rigorous rpgs that like require you to like <laughs> like if like if you're the kind of person who's like uh and i did check this who's like well do i level up my characters or do i try to keep them as low level as possible until i've optimized the stats of the whole party and then i start leveling them up so that they have maximum stat growth this is not the game for you but if you're just like hey i want my thiefy boy and my wizard boy and my night boy you know wandering around a dungeon fighting monsters and picking up money and cool gear this is the game for you yeah it's a chill hang i think that's a fair way of describing it if yes yeah i haven't played much of that game i i don't have the 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 switch version with the extra content um but i do have it on the ps4 and um i need to get back into it because i I want more experiences with sylvando who i hope that you have a good time with once he's in your party 